This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Telehealth plays a vital role in our health system now and for many people, especially those who live in regional and remote Victoria, they rely on virtual appointments. But there's an emerging area of telehealth that has some from the medical profession worried. There's a new wave of startups that have sprung up and they're offering online access to treatments to everything from acne creams to weight loss drugs and the contraceptive pill. They're well funded and they've been advertising heavily on things like late night television, maybe a social media feed and public transport. Some health experts and industry groups fear that what they say are the basics and the foundations of medicine are being disrupted. The Pharmacy Guild president has labelled these startups as cowboys and accuses them of reducing the provision of healthcare to an algorithm. And the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, who you'll hear from in just a moment, says that the telehealth industry is pursuing a business opportunity versus a healthcare opportunity. So what are they? What are these new healthcare startups? How do they work? Have you accessed one? Maybe you've seen them in your social media feed. What do they offer? What guidelines do they operate under? And maybe they are operating around making profit as opposed to healthcare. Or you could argue that something like this was bound to happen, that these new startups are filling a gap in what we know is a struggling healthcare structure. What do you think? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Matilda Marozzi, ABC Features reporter. Matilda, telehealth is just kind of a part of our healthcare DNA now. Most of us have either used it or at least know and understand a lot about it. But this is an, a new subset, isn't it? A new wave of telehealth marketing or telehealth healthcare that's come through and you've been targeted. Yeah, it was actually when I was researching this program, Rochelle, that I realised that I'd been getting ads on Instagram, sponsored posts coming up on Instagram, advertising one of these services. I was getting the ads for vitamins, you know, multivitamins for for women's health. And when I went through to their website, it was a basically text-based prescribing service specialising in women's reproductive health, including contraception and fertility. And they advertise saying they're the easiest way to get the pill. Just do a five-minute online questionnaire, answer these questions about your health, maybe put in your brand preferences for the pill, And then you'll speak with the doctor online. But when they say speak, they're not talking about a telephone call or a video consult, which people associate with telehealth. They're basically talking about using a chat window to message a doctor. And then the pill can be sent out to your home. They said it'll be every month on time. And you haven't left your house. You haven't even spoken to a doctor over the phone. I guess it's a perfect, getting mailed out. A perfect example, isn't it, of a product that maybe on top line look completely um, safe and stress-free, but then many from those in the medical uh, industry or profession will say, well, you do need you know proper consultation when it comes to things like birth control, even the, the pill, you still need checkups and whatnot. So does it make our lives easier? Are they filling gaps? Or is it cheapening? Is it cheapening healthcare and the role of doctors as well? I mean, and when and the the doctors that are that they're using in these practices are they established GPs? Are they straight out of med school? It, it's it's not always clear, but I know uh, for another story I was working on about medicinal cannabis, there was some of these text based prescribing services, and these were doctors that had just finished from med school. They hadn't specialised in general practice or anything else. They'd done the seven years of of basic medicine and then they were doing this cannabis prescribing through telehealth basically to earn money and they could earn a lot of cash while they were deciding what specialty they wanted to go into and think some of them just decided, actually, I'm happy just sitting at home prescribing medicinal cannabis, earning 
good good salary and I don't even need to do extra training. Bonus. It's a fascinating debate whether or not healthcare startups are filling a gap that's needed in what many people would label a broken healthcare system. And is it something that we need? Is it something in order to be able to access a doctor as well, especially if you're in regional and remote areas? Or as some fear, is it cheapening our healthcare practice? Do you use one? Have you been targeted on your social media feeds? Have you seen maybe some of the advertising on late night television? Dr Nicole Higgins is the president of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Nicole, you and many from your profession are concerned that this is cheapening healthcare to being about profit as opposed to outcomes for patients? Look, the telehealth technology has has been a game changer and it's allowed patients to have contact with their regular GP. What, but what's also happened is it's allowed different players into the market. As I said, it's a business opportunity versus putting patients at the centre of healthcare and patient safety. Now, Nicole, a lot of these services, uh, new services have popped up, are targeting areas that there's a lot of stigma around it, whether it's reproductive health, might be weight loss, it might be things around menopause or mental health, things that some people might be uncomfortable talking to a doctor about in person. If uh, people are accessing these health services through these kind of text-based consults where they wouldn't get healthcare otherwise maybe this is a good thing for our medical system? These services have bombarded all of us with their intense advertising. They're creating a demand and they often sit outside of our frameworks of regulation, of prescribing and also the MBS. What happens is they don't actually have a relationship with the patient. They don't know... um, their past history, their uh, allergies, all those sorts of things. There's no opportunity for a physical examination. And, you know, there is the potential for risk. And prescribing isn't just a tick and flick exercise. There is a much more around it. And that's what the medical board has pointed out. So what are you hoping for, Nicole? I mean, I guess similar debates have happened as to whether or not we should be giving uh, pharmacists more prescription powers as well. And that was something that I think was shut down pretty heavily by GPs. What, what are you hoping for? Is it tighter regulations around what constitutes telehealth and what you can be prescribed? So the regulation around telehealth is really important. It's to make sure that, uh, you know, as the pharmacist said, these cowboys are not out there exploiting um, patients. And, you know, some of these are really expensive services, especially some of the uh, the cannabis services. There's no such thing as just a script. And you'll have seen, uh, you know, Treasurer Jim Chalmers went to get just a script from his GP and found out he had a melanoma because there was the opportunity for examination. So it's important that we actually, people actually understand the limitations of these services, the fact that they actually may or may not be a doctor at the other end, and it's not usually a GP at the other end who actually has that higher training in prescribing. Now, Nicole, um, we've seen these businesses pop up more recently uh, and obviously there is patients wanting to go to them I wonder if you have an idea of what might be driving that demand is it because it can be really hard and expensive to get into a GP so people are attracted to these services that might seem really convenient and more cost effective look I think the first thing is it's a a business model really heavy marketing you know you have a look at the buses in Melbourne you look at your Facebook feed uh, as soon as somebody has looked something up, it's appearing. So it's a marketing issue. But what sits behind it as well is access. General practice has been undervalued and underfunded by successive governments over the last 10 years. And there is a maldistribution of GPs in our rural areas. That being said, telehealth actually is an opportunity because they can have a telehealth consultation with their regular GP and the the practice and that's something that's certainly been embraced uh, by patients especially through COVID and especially for our elderly and for patients with mental health 
accessing their GP now isn't just face-to-face. They do have the opportunity to have a chat over the phone or video as well. One of these particular startups that we're talking about describes themselves as a healthcare technology company that's building digital experiences for patients. And they say that they form that connective tissue between telehealth consults with doctors, the pharmacy delivery and the ongoing patient care. Are you concerned, Nicole, at the level of medicines of things that can be prescribed so on the surface it might just look at something that's labeled as weight control but we know there's a lot of pseudoephedrine all sorts of things that can be put into weight control tablets that can be potentially quite dangerous are you concerned about what's being given out relatively easily doctor shopping all sorts of things that could work against somebody's health we always have to put safety, you know, of our patients first, and that that is an absolute concern. And just just because McDonald's is easy to access, we all know that in in the long term it's not healthy. So, what we need to think about, you know, some I've seen some of these ads, you know, longer lasting sex and lose weight. There needs to be quality. There needs to be regulation around what's advertised because they do suck people in and we need to make sure that the decisions, that uh, those choices are are safe, but also not being delivered by people who are out there to purely make a profit. They must... Sorry, go. Uh, Yeah, Nicole... Uh, Nicole Higgins is the president of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners and we'd love to hear from you if you've had an experience using some of these telehealth services. Uh, what's attracted you to them? Have you found them convenient or, or were you a bit concerned about the, the quality of Medicare, cool care you're getting? Call 1300 222 774 or text 0437 774 774. Uh, Nicole, I'm just wondering... Um, is is this something maybe you know that GPs might want to embrace in the future when it comes to potentially um, reissuing scripts and, and things like that? If you've got an existing patient who just wants to repeat a prescription instead of needing to actually have another appointment, could there be opportunities for kind of text-based consultations and if the doctor's happy to just reissue, you wouldn't have to go in or talk to the doctor and then if there was a, a need to, you know, have have another conversation, they could organise that appointment. Obviously, patients are wanting this convenience and I wonder if regular GPs embraced it, if it would uh, reduce the business model, like the business opportunity for these kind of prescribing-only services. Yeah, so this actually already exists in general practice and patients have the opportunity through face-to-face, through telehealth, they can actually contact their GP who knows their past history uh, and their previous prescribing uh, through uh, through using uh, requests for scripts, etc. So it already is happening and these models actually add an extra cost to patients. Some of these are quite expensive Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to make sure it's safe. The usual GP and continuity of care is really important. These services just fragment care and put patients at risk. Just finally, Nicole, how much of this comes down to the fact that our healthcare system just feels a little bit broken and out of control at the moment? I've lost track of the amount of debates we've had around how we fund GPs, what sort of rebates we get, wait times, hospital blowouts, using hospitals and emergencies like GPs. Surely this there's looks like there's just there's been a gap. You know, you kept referring to them as a business model, and any good businessman or woman will see where there's a gap in the market and it feels like there's a huge gap in the market. Then this is the opportunity now for governments to actually fund Medicare and general practice. The patient rebate simply hasn't kept up with the cost of Medicare. We've just seen inflation's gone up 7.5%. Medicare went up 1.6% for patients. So the cost as the cost of living goes up, the government really needs to make sure the Medi- that Medicare is properly funded, then this sort of stuff is not going to be happening.
Thanks so much for your time. It's Dr Nicole Higgins, President of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. That debate, Matilda, Matilda Marozzi with you. My name is Rochelle Hunt around whether or not this is a business model or a healthcare model. And if you're looking at it from a business model, we know startups occur when they see a gap in the market. There is a gap in the market at the moment. Let's face facts. So how do you regulate this? I mean, telehealth is relatively new already, isn't it? It's a new service that many of us are using. And then there are venture capitalists and there are entrepreneurs that are out there that have somehow come together and said, this is what, this is the future. Let's try and make some money out of this. It's just whether or not our health is jeopardised as a result. There was a really interesting article actually talking about some of these startups, Rochelle, in the nine newspapers. And they talked about one of the biggest players in Australia has several different brands doing this. And it, it had its root in marketing rather than medicine. They said in 2019, a pitch deck that was designed to secure early investors, the company was styling itself as an e-commerce company selling razors and shoes. And then it kind of shifted to telehealth when the pandemic happened and the founder of it was previously involved in one of those kind of box uh, mattress companies that send out mattresses to you. So you see where they're coming from and it isn't a health ethos and it doesn't mean they're not necessarily providing a good health That's service, the thing. That's but the they're thing. coming at from, a, from a business kind of here's an opportunity to make money space, which I think a lot of people in Australia feel uncomfortable about when it comes to medicine. So if there's no framework, right, if there's no regulations around who can set them up and the quality of doctor, whether it's someone straight out of med school or a GP that's been practicing for a long time that gives you another prescription for the pill or the weight loss or the sexual function, whatever it may be that people are turning to these online healthcare providers for. I just wonder, does that matter? I mean, is it their, it's not their fault. Mm. They can do it. That They're allowed to. They're not breaking any laws whatsoever. And uh, is it, you know, they talk about fragmentation and maybe some people don't think it's a problem if you see one doctor for a contraception pill, another doctor for hair loss, another doctor for weight loss, if it's all fragmented. Is that a problem that they don't know? Or maybe it's just how things are in the future is quick and convenient. So, so are these new healthcare startups, are they popping up on your social media feed? Have you accessed them in any way? And what do you think? Are they just providing a service because there is a huge gap in the market at the moment? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt and Matilda Marozzi with you talking about new healthcare startups providing essentially a telehealth service, but maybe not necessarily with your local GP. And many now are arguing that this is more about profit than it is healthcare. Matilda, this is interesting. There's a text here that says young people are really f- good at finding gaps in the market. That's their strength. Now, I haven't been marketed to uh, from one of these healthcare startups, but you have. And there's a relatively large age difference between the two of us. Is this a generational? they only marketing to younger people, do you think? Well, it's interesting the advertising I've got is, is really targeting things that a lot of millennials and Gen Z care about. For example, one of the subscription services, we're talking about how it's all recyclable packaging, we'll send you refills, stuff that, you know, millennials care about and uh, makes it look really nice. It's really sleek, beautiful photos and it is talking about, oh, you know, monthly deliveries, no problem. Uh, It's making it as easy for you as possible. And people of my generation, they're not going to have a problem with ordering something online. We've been doing it our entire adult lives. Although now that we're talking about it, my phone's in the studio, what's the bet that my algorithm changes (laughs) and they'll start to come through on my feed? They'll have heard you, they're listening. (laughs) I agree. Andrew's in Beechworth. Hi, Andrew, what do you think? Um, I find that the fact is the state and federal governments in the lead up to the um, recent elections promised they'd fix our health system aged care, the NDIS, etc. This is a serious problem. If the governments, state and federal, stuck to their word and fixed our um, health system, there wouldn't be a place for these cowboys. And I think the government needs to do everything they can to fix the health services and stamp out this sort of stuff because, look, I don't think you can have people prescribing medication without without having a, um, a record and, a, and a, a knowledge of what their situation is. I've been mistakenly prescribed medication by doctors that even have my history. So I don't know how somebody online 
can possibly be prescribing a medication to people. So fundamentally, Andrew, and I guess this is what we're getting at, do you think that there, there's gaps in the market and there's always going to be an entrepreneur, a, a big thinker that will convince someone to give them some money to start something because they see a gap in the market? And do yeah. you believe, because our healthcare system is broken at the moment, that there's gaps all over the place? I, I think this, this, these gaps in the market are being created by the state and federal government not honouring their word and fixing up our healthcare system. If if they did what they said they were going to do, mm. these super clinics, like it even goes back, you know, 10 years ago, they promised to these clinics, they promised all sorts of things for hospitals, even where I am. We had our hospital um, was bulk billing um, radiology. Now it's you have to pay a fee because they've outsourced that. Um the government needs to step in and be good for their word. And instead of embarking on any other sort of promises, stick to the core business, fix aged care, fix NDIS, fix our healthcare system, fix those things, then look at some other projects. But they've got to get on top of this stuff. Well, Andrew, I wonder in that time, Matilda, to fix all of those things, how many more of these so-called cowboys will come up? It's going to take time to fix... Anna from Biagalong's also called on one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Hi, Anna. Hi. Um, I've got an ongoing mental illness, and I have I'm stabilised on medication that I've been on for twenty years. Um, recently, they've changed that my GP had to see me to um, redo my script, and I'm finding that because he's doing so many script appointments that basically the appointment comes down to what scripts do you want? And I would, I was getting better care before when, when I could ring up and get a repeat script and he had time during any appointment I had to actually talk about what was going on mm. with me. So even in person, so Anna, you're saying the, the care can be diminished if there's pressure on the GPs to get through a lot of people. In person doesn't necessarily mean... Better consult. No, and he's a great doctor, and I'm very lucky to have my own doctor who knows me. But he's just um, because they've stopped the funding for over-the-phone scripts. He um, has to see me in order to get Medicare funding for writing a script. And I guess yeah, it comes back to that big picture stuff, doesn't it? As well, and I thank you. This text from Helen, I wanted to lose a little bit of weight before a holiday. I put a request in to an online prescription service and stated my weight as 10 kilograms higher than it actually was. Within five minutes, I had a script for a particular type of weight loss drugs. I couldn't believe it, says Helen. And that's what I was, I guess, trying to talk to Nicole about as well. Weight loss drugs, you know, on the surface, if you don't know much about them, can seem quite innocent, but they can be really, really dangerous. And if not used correctly, can lead to awful results. Well, that really, Helen's text really goes to some of the concerns Nicole raised about the safety of these kind of services, because if you were in an appointment with Helen, even a video consult, you could probably say, actually, I don't think (laughs) that you weigh as much as you've put down. And I I don't think this is the most appropriate way for for you to lose weight, potentially. And Helen was surprised she got the prescription. What's to stop, say, a teenage girl who's got body image concerns trying to apply for this kind of stuff? So there is, yeah, really some worries when it comes to the safety. Absolutely. Lisa's in Kyneton. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? Well, what did you want to say? All I wanted to say is if it's scripts or anything, if you need regular appointments with your doctor, ask if you can make them in advance. Like you can make appointments with your doctor for 12 months or two years in advance. That prevents the problem of missing an appointment or doctors being too busy. The other thing is it really is, it's your health and your responsibility if you're, I agree, children accessing... um, prescriptions, weight loss, that's dangerous. But with grown-ups, it's your health and it's your choice. That's, that's, I mean, that's a strong point. I mean, I, I guess the difference is the quality of maybe some of the doctors you're getting online, Lisa, as well, versus your own doctor. But then that comes back to the argument of how easy is it 
to have your own doctor these days, as always heard from our previous caller, I'm lucky enough to have my own doctor because it feels like those days are gone as well. Well, we know the benefits of telehealth are huge for regional and rural Victoria. Dan Wilson is the newly appointed president of the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria. Dan, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour for the first time. Lovely to have you on board. Thanks for the invitation. So when we talk about telehealth, we know how vital it is for regional and rural areas. This, I guess, is a little different in the gaps in the market and potential cowboys, so to speak, in inverted commas, that are popping up because they see that there's money to be made. Does that concern you at all? The emergence of essentially an industry around the provision of telehealth or telephone-only medicine is a real concern for all Australians, but particularly for regional and rural Victorians that I help to look after because of many of the issues that have been raised by many of the callers today is that there is fragmentation of care. There might not be follow-up for particular things. And the example from the caller around follow-up for weight loss medications is a perfect example of where Mm. things could go horribly wrong if there's no booked follow-up. Now, Dan, I had a bit of a look. You're a rural generalist, but said you're specifically interested in things like LGBTIQ plus health and sexual health. These are things where there might be a lot of stigma around them, particularly if you are in a rural town. Maybe you're not comfortable going to see your local GP about this kind of thing, knowing that they know your mum and your grandma and maybe your school principal. Uh, Do you think there is a a space for telehealth, these kind of relatively anonymised telehealth services in these areas where there's still a lot of stigma in healthcare? Absolutely. The telehealth services absolutely have a role in the modern Australian healthcare system. COVID-19 wave was absolutely fantastic for the purpose of bringing forward this emergence of Medicare-fundable telehealth that we can provide. The thing that I must stand by is that telehealth and telephone medicine is an adjunct to traditional face-to-face consulting because there's so much of that face-to-face assessment that you miss out on, particularly just over the phone. I really do think that video consultations very much do allow uh, to alleviate many of those concerns that clinicians or patients might have if you can see each other and, and, and build that relationship. But you're definitely on the mark. There are certainly a role for um, managing certain conditions, that are particularly those with stigma via telehealth, if that's suitable to the patient and suitable to suitable to the clinician as well. Dan, would you agree with Nicole in that maybe it's time for regulation around telehealth just to ensure that the people that are going into it, that it is about healthcare and not about profit? I'm not saying that people shouldn't make money, right? So GPs, for example, they need to make money. They're, not, they're doing it for the love of it, but they're also doing it because it's their profession and their job and everybody needs to pay the bills. But it feels like there's a difference in the shift of the type of healthcare or the reason as to why they're getting into it. Does that need to be tightened? Or, like our previous caller said, every person is responsible for their own health? I agree with both points. The second, absolutely. Every person is responsible for their own health. But doctors are here to help people understand some of that really complex health information that. That's why you see a doctor for their expertise, their opinion, to help you make a decision that's right for you. And making those decisions on your own is sometimes not so easy. You're absolutely right that we do need greater regulation around the provision of telehealth uh, or e-health services here in Australia. I will note that the Medical Board of Australia has absolutely come down on services that are popping up that only provide telehealth or telephone services, that that is not a safe clinical practice for medicine. So we will start to see a series of guidelines and restrictions on uh, practitioners or businesses in uh, in the future, potentially this year or uh, 2024. Dan Wilson's the president of the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria. Dan, we've heard a, a lot of discussion recently about fragmentation in medicine and problems, you know, problems that might create. I, I wonder why is it problematic if I'm seeing, you know, one doctor to get the pill and another doctor for something else. Can you explain why? It's, yeah, it might be a bad thing for my health if I'm seeing lots of different medical professionals for lots of different things. It can actually be a really positive thing seeing lots of people if everyone communicates well with each other. And Australia tried really hard to get a, a unified digital health system. You might have remembered the My Health Record, which was unfortunate 
basically one of Australia's biggest failures in digital health. No one's essentially signed up to maintain their My Health record and we still are often using fax machine or email to communicate with each other. Did you just say uh, a fax machine? Helping. Yeah, we still use a fax machine. Oh. It's, still, it's secure, but we have a fax machine. There's nothing like calling so, a phone number and accidentally calling the fax line and having that just beep in your ear. In medical school, you might have to teach some of the younger students how to use the fax, fax machine. Is, absolutely. And it is really that lack of consistent, unified communication between clinicians and patients to understand and fully be aware of everything that's going on. I myself as a consumer have more than one general practitioner that, that I see, but I'm aware of these issues and I try my very best to keep my own my health record up to date, but also tell all of those clinicians the various things that I'm seeing them for. So is that something that patients are responsible for keeping their my health record up to date? We have an equal responsibility as a patient and clinician. Uh, clinicians have a responsibility to, if the patient's consented, upload from the clinic's um, system, upload it um, regularly to the My Health Record. But also each individual can actually log into their own My Health Record themselves and put information there that could be readily accessible to a future clinician as well. So you can actually log into, mm. if you've got one, log into yours, update your medical history, your allergies, your medications, and also put down your next of kin or the, your power of attorney if you have one. So the responsibility goes both ways, I think. Dan, thanks so much. We'll speak with you soon. Thanks for the invitation. Enjoy your day. Dan Wilson, the president of the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria. That's an interesting concept, Matilda, isn't it? So whether or not you think people are getting in, into it for the right reason or not, if we all updated our own records and if you went then to someone that you thought maybe fairly willy-nilly prescribed things, but if you said, can you check my record... Mm. And give me your opinion as to whether or not you think it's okay for me to take this particular drug or whatever it may be, then at least there's some background checks there that you're instigating yourself. There's a text here that says telehealth has been active and consistent and sometimes my only option for decades in remote Northern Territory where I live. Also, not all gap finders are cowboys. Money is not the sole motivation. My three sons, who are 34, 32 and 28, don't have a GP and highly value tech health options. They attend to anxiety, depression and mental health matters successfully, carefully and efficiently. And I had no idea that you actually had some control over your health record. It's something that I kind of thought was hidden away from you. I know when I've changed GP clinics, I've had to pay to have my information sent from one clinic to the other so they have my history because... I don't remember everything. Well, being able to update it, you know, like Rochelle is a very good patient. She is very courteous <laughs> and polite at all times. Kerry's in Gippsland. Hi, Kerry. Oh, hi. What did you want to say? Oh, yeah. I'm a nurse practitioner and I work in in Wellingtonshire, in a rural community here. Um, and I want to just raise... The fact that to fill this gap, we have a big, big workforce of nurse practitioners who can see patients face to face. Nurse practitioners are nurses that specialise in particular areas who can prescribe medications. And I, I started the clinic two years ago in Sale, and I work very, very closely with the GPs, and I see people with mental health, addiction issues, etc., etc. Um, I went from having it at half day. I'm now full every day of the week, five days a week. And um, I recognise the importance of seeing people face to face. They're very complex. And um, I have met with patients who've fallen victim to these online things. And then not all of my patients, because mm. of their social circumstances, have have access to telehealth or or the um, media. Uh, media resources to do that. And, and Kerry, it's fascinating. I heard a great nurse speak with Ali Moore on the morning's program at ABC Radio Melbourne the other day, actually calling for giving nurses greater guidelines, giving you more strength, giving you more opportunities yep, to, to do more. And it was a real light bulb moment for me to think about yep. the, the incredible wealth of knowledge that you all have and that maybe if there's going to be gaps in the market, not that we want nurses to do more because we know that you're just as stretched yep. as, as many others, but do you feel like there's a, a huge missed opportunity there? Yeah, well, us nurse practitioners, we are we actually have to do a Master of Science and we specialise in particular areas so we can prescribe anything that a GP can. 
we have a Medicare number. It's very, it's, it's only a small token amount. We, we, all of us usually bulk bill. Um, but we do it because we, can, we believe we can provide holistic care and fit into the gaps of the more complex patients that the GPs um, can not always address. And certainly, I started up in that area and I've got fantastic relationships with our GPs and they send me people all the time. And, and you know, uh, the government paid to actually train us in the nurse practitioners and they're actually not using us. Mm. You can add that, Kerry, to the list of things that people have been calling for when it comes to really big, you know, significant change and how long and, uh, that's going to take. Yeah, exactly. So we are there. They're not using us. And um, so a lot of my patients maybe have mental health issues or dealing with addiction. They come along to see me. I have 20 minutes with them because that's a standard appointment. Wow. I, I can address all their underlying coexisting comorbid, comorbidities of their medical issues. I can sign post them to other doctors which for more specialisms that are outside of my control and that relationship is fantastic. Mm. And lots of my colleagues are really struggling to get themselves out there. I have governments saying, oh, excuse me, we've got these, we've, we've trained yeah. all these specialisms. Yeah. Oh, Kerry, thank you. Gosh, Matilda Morozzi, it's pretty easy to see, right, how this new wave of startups, how they've come about when you look at, all of the gaps and when you look at how long the so-called solutions are at the moment to fix what we know it was a struggling healthcare system that we have in Victoria. Yeah, well, this text has just come in on 0437 774 774 and saying, I live in a mid-sized northern Victorian town, which is fair to say is at breaking point with GP shortage. Personally, I should have gone back to see a doctor over 12 months ago to follow up blood tests, but it was so hard to get an appointment and I didn't hear anything from the clinic to remind him about follow-up tests that should have been done. Look at that. Yeah, that's really concerning and and something that a lot of people have probably found themselves in a yeah, similar I don't situation. Think be alone. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, this is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Matilda Morozzi with you this morning, looking at a wave of healthcare startups. Is this something that you've accessed? Have you seen them advertising, whether it be in your social media feed or in late night television, even public transport? And are they purely just filling a gap? in our already struggling healthcare system, one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Matilda, when we think virtual health, right, when we think telehealth, you might think a, a follow-up consult with the doctor or that you have something there, you don't feel like you need physical examination. Well, there has been a rise around the world as well as here in Victoria in virtual emergency. Now, my idea of emergency is you're kind of in dire straits. There's probably things either stuck in you or coming out of you that shouldn't be and you need help and you need physical help. But virtual emergency is a, a growing industry, a growing profession. Yeah, it's a fascinating idea, isn't it? You know, we've been talking a lot about virtual consults to get scripts and that's one thing. But a virtual emergency is a totally different thing. And the Victorian Virtual Emergency Department is run by Northern Health. And Dr. Lauren Scher is the director. Lauren, thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, no problems. Good morning to you. Can you tell us a bit about who might come to the Virtual Emergency Department? What kind of problems you might have? Absolutely. So definitely we're trying to steer clear of any life-threatening emergencies. As you mentioned, we don't want people with things sticking into them <laughs> or clearly broken limbs. But certainly patients who think that they have an emergency problem, they're not quite sure, they're about to get into the car, they're umming and eyeing. that's the kind of patient we want to be seeing because we know that um, from experience now that in many instances we can manage those patients at home and tie them over to a point where they can actually wait until they can access a GP appointment or perhaps attend one of the sort of urgent care centres that um, the government has set up in primary care. So we really, what we're trying to do is help patients stay out of busy emergency departments 
and really allow those life-threatening emergencies to be prioritized in terms of attendances so that everyone is receiving the care that they need at the right time and in the right place. It's incredible. So this service is a first of a kind in Australia. We are seeing it emerge in other parts of the world. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You even have interpreters there if it's needed. No referral is even required. It's actually an incredible service. How did this come about, Lauren? Was it purely due to COVID or do you, was there already a need for something like this anyhow, do you believe? Look, I think this, this certainly came as, as part of our COVID response right at the beginning of the pandemic. It came out of an ideas forum and this was put forward as an opportunity to explore a different way of providing healthcare to our community. What we've realised coming out of COVID and in and out of the waves is that it actually, the benefits of telehealth extend beyond what we were offering um, initially. And we really are at a time, I guess, you know, where technology and patient access tech to technology is allowing us to rethink how we deliver healthcare. I think there are obviously problems within healthcare, it's worldwide, and this is giving us an opportunity to really think about those models of care and how they can be delivered. Now, Lauren, I had a look on your website at some of the things you might come to the virtual emergency for. There was, you know, mild respiratory illness such as asthma, some pain, nausea, vomiting, uh, mild head injuries or fainting, but one that really surprised me that I might be able to come to you for was it said a non-complex fracture, lacerations or minor burns. Surely these kind of things might need a, a physical intervention if I've, you know, fractured a, some kind of bone. Absolutely. But what I think a lot of patients don't realise is sometimes we can wait. So for example, if I see somebody who's had a little bit of a fall, maybe it's a child, we're thinking it's a bit sore that risk. What we can do is make the decision in collaboration with the family, when is the best time to actually attend an appointment? Can that patient just have um, some simple advice regarding pain relief and what to do? Particularly, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, nobody wants to go to an ED. Can we help with some basic advice to tie that patient over till the next morning when the GP might be open or we know emergency departments are less busy and that patient may then have a better experience going into the ED? And there's a lot of community services that patients aren't aware mm. of that can deal with things like basic wound management as well as minor burns. And these include a lot of our pharmacy services. A lot of patients don't realise some of the larger community pharmacies have nurses attached that are very capable of delivering basic wound care and um, burn care. So it's about steering patients in the right direction. It's going to give them the right access but also in a timely fashion and without them having to spend five hours queuing in an emergency department. It reminds me actually, um, when I was in primary school, one of my brothers had a fall off the monkey bars or something. Mum thought he was fine, sent him to school for a few days and then he did have a little a little <laughs> fracture. <laughs> because so, I guess, you know, you do broken bones, you think something quite drastic, but sometimes... I know, parents were tougher more. back then as well, you know. <laughs> it's a little bit, suck it up, you'll be right, off you go to, to school. You've really led the way here, Lauren. I mean, there's texts here now saying, please note that, you know, Peninsula Health, Monash Health, the Alfred, they all run virtual emergency departments now as well. Has this been a shift globally, do you think, in how we practice healthcare? Yes, absolutely. And we've seen, as you, as you mentioned, uh, models coming out of the US, models coming out of Canada, um, we've got models coming out of the developed and, the, you know, non-developed world. What we're realising is that telehealth is now allowing us to bridge gaps that we previously were struggling to bridge. It's not to say that it's the answer to everything, but certainly in terms of things like health equity and access, we can suddenly offer advice to patients who perhaps don't drive, patients who have disabilities, and it's a real struggle for them to get into hospital. As you mentioned, we offer interpretive services. So we're really trying to utilise technology to bridge gaps and address issues that we previously were, you know, having a bit of difficulty addressing. Mm. Dr. Lauren Scher is the Director of the Victorian Virtual Emergency Department. Now, Lauren, I see that your service is only available for video consultations. You won't do anything over just the phone. Can you tell me why that is? Yeah, absolutely. We, we strongly believe that the video component is what provide that point of difference in terms of providing safe health care. We want to see the patient. We want to see the problem. Um, there are instances where we do have technology failure and we do try and utilise every other way of trying to see the issue, be it perhaps maybe a photo, you know, a photo of a, 
a wound, for example, but we really want to be confident we've had eyes on the problem before we're happy to hand out advice. Um, I feel that, you know, well over the phone conversation can be helpful in some instances in the acute setting, which is what we're really dealing with. We need to see what the problem is. It's incredible that I sort of didn't know a lot about this. And yet this text here saying I use the virtual emergency department over Christmas when my husband tested positive for COVID. He's in the high risk category. We couldn't access a GP. It was at night. I was really worried. So I called virtual emergency department. We only had to wait 20 minutes and a nurse and a doctor were just wonderful. We received the care that we needed. The the doctor even called the next day to see how we were going. We were so lucky to have this service, says Heather and Lilydale. Lauren, it's it's really wonderful the work that you're doing. And you know, when we see some of these, we talk about gaps in the market, and some people are concerned about so called so called cowboys when it comes to virtual health. But to know that we have multiple virtual emergency departments now in Victoria, it's wonderful to hear. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks very much. Take care. See you, Dr. Lauren Sher. And the idea, Matilda, that you do need video there, mm. as long as you don't have a filter, right, on your video. <laughs> Can you imagine? And really show the colour of your skin and whether or not you're feeling well or not. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. I guess the thing that also gives, you might give you confidence in this kind of service is it's coming from our major hospitals and it's, you know, free to access. It, it's funded, I assume, through the state and federal governments, like the hospital is funded. So, these services are, yeah, mm. potentially like, do I need to go to emergency? And yeah. they'll tell you, yes, go into physical emergency. Or no, actually, this can wait till tomorrow. So, Well, Northern Health Virtual Emergency says this text probably saved my life. I tested positive for COVID on Christmas Day. I had several pre-existing conditions that made me high risk. I nearly died of COVID last year. I was desperate to get my hands on the antivirals. I couldn't get help anywhere until eventually I managed to get help from the emergency, virtual emergency department at Northern Health. I'm in Pakenham. I got all the medication. I got through the illness and I didn't even have to go to a real ED. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and you see that, you know, people are able to access that. And Well, yeah, that's right. And actually, Amanda, that's your story. Incredible. You've found that a virtual emergency is something that you claim to save your life. Yeah, absolutely. I spent about six and a half hours trying to get a local service or a local practice to um, see me on Boxing Day. Of course, everyone was shut or completely booked out. I was very ill and couldn't get in my car and drive down to um, Eric to the hospital. Um, eventually, I managed to um, navigate the virtual ED online system using my phone. Had an appointment with a young doctor who, uh, because I have equipment to monitor various um, signs, oh, wow. I was able to get, mm. get my doctor managing my illness. I was able to get in good data, and he was able to get me the antivirals, which the local pharmacist then helped me obtain that day, and. Honestly, I had I had a normal bad flu instead of being gasping for breath calling an ambulance at midnight. Amanda, I wonder, how did you hear about the virtual emergency service? Did you know about it before you needed to access it? I did. I didn't realise it was for everybody. Um, it did come up in my searches of how I could get help, but I am an, an ABC listener, so I've heard about it through the radio before. And it's one of those things that's really time-sensitive. You needed yeah, those antivirals exactly, soon, so yeah, good that you're exactly able to get them. Right. Dr Todd Cameron is a GP and founder of M3 Health Clinics located in Spotswood, Ascot Vale and Bayswater. Todd, we started today's conversation now looking at the rise of healthcare startups. Are you concerned? I mean, there's the good and the bad, I guess, in any industry, but as someone that no doubt would already offer virtual appointments and, and virtual uh, patient care, how do you feel about some of these other areas that are emerging? Yeah, I don't, I don't think um, it's a simple answer, actually, is it, Rochelle? Um, you know, in, in terms of just the, the rise of any service, it generally is there to address a problem. And so, you know, we should expect that you're going to get uh, more entrepreneurial types as well as, um, maybe those driven more by altruism uh, or, or patient needs to pop up. And, and it's probably normal that whenever there's disruptive technology or services mm. that we sort of, um, there's an explosion of, of different alternatives and then that kind of gets paired back down to uh, to those that are um, both useful, necessary and uh, have some kind of sustainable um, funding as part of them. Now, Todd, you're a GP and we've heard a lot recently about the pressures on GP services. I wonder how long might it take if I wanted to get an appointment with you? Is there a long wait to get in to see a doctor at your clinics? It's it's an interesting question. So um, generally speaking, you can get an appointment within you know, one or two days. But if it's with 
you know, the particular GP that you wanted. It might take a little bit longer, depending on who that is. Mm. Um, as you'd expect, there's good diversity amongst the team. Some do slower medicine, therefore longer appointments, less of them, um, and others and others will, will work at different paces. So it does depend a bit on who that is. And when we look at more, I guess, traditional <laughs> telehealth, that's something that I feel like now as Victorians and all around the world that we've embraced. And it can be, when done correctly, really, really useful. I, I know, Todd, my daughter got quite sick over the holidays and we had a face-to-face consult with the doctor. Then we went away and I was a little bit concerned about it. So I rang the doctor and was able to have a, a chat with him about how she was going. And it sort of just alleviated a lot of stress that you might have. So depending on the circumstances, the virtual appointments are incredible. I guess it's just where and why and how they're being used and that giving a prescription isn't always as simple as it seems. I mean, that's. I mean, do you think that there's just bigger issues at play here? Yeah, I think what you just described then is is the perfect use of telehealth, uh, where you're augmenting oh, you. a, uh, an existing relationship, and um, and you've got people that have prior knowledge of you. So, you know, really good medicine is is relationship medicine, where you know people over a period of time. And Dan talked about this earlier about having comprehensive knowledge of anybody else involved in your healthcare. When healthcare becomes more transactional mm. uh, and, and it's just about you know a single episode, then opportunities for preventative health or connections between issues that may not be that obvious become um, less and less obvious. And you just have to look at a health system like the US. Um, that doesn't have much in the way of primary healthcare versus a system like Australia where, uh, you know, in, in terms of the top 10 OECD countries, um, the Americans have the worst health outcomes, yet yet um, a health system that costs around about twice as much as a portion of their uh, GDP compared to Australia. So, you know, if we, if we do have really good relationship-based healthcare, which usually comes back to primary care, uh, and we're augmenting that, I think that works best. But there are certainly circumstances where, you know, um, there will be other services that people have described, the VVED, uh, those sort of things that are, that are really centred around a particular problem, they also work well. Dr Todd Cameron, thanks for your time. Pleasure. GP, founder of M3 Health Clinics in Spotswood, Ascot Vale and Bayswater. And I guess when we say e-health or telehealth now, Matilda, it's so broad, isn't it? You can't just sort of throw it into, oh, yeah, that means X, because it could mean anything now from a virtual emergency department to a a follow-up consult that you're having with your GP that you might have a 10, 20-year relationship with, or it could be now one of these emerging healthcare startups. But what's going to stick with me is what Todd just said, which is that idea of relationship medicine. And I guess that's where the concern for some people are, is that some of these healthcare startups, there's no relationship well, it's interesting, uh, you know, when I first left school and went to university, I was just going to those big bulk billing clinics. You see a different doctor each time. And now that I'm getting closer to my 30s, I've got a real GP. <laughs> I see the same GP. one all the time. And It's when you're officially grown up. And it, it is a problem even for those big bulk billing services that you don't have the relationship. They have no idea who you are. You just go in get your script, leave. It's kind of the same, but now you can do it online without even going into a clinic. Matilda Marozzi, as always, thank you so much. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.